Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The fifth Sunday in Lent, John 8, 46-59. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. In our Savior, dearly beloved hearers. Thus says the Lord in Mark 3, All sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. According to Matthew 12, the Lord also added, The blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. The author of Hebrews speaks of the same sin in the following manner. For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again in repentance. John also mentions this sin. He writes, 1 John 5:16. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. We therefore conclude that there is a sin which can be forgiven neither in this world nor in the world to come, neither in time nor in eternity. No creature in heaven and on earth, yes, neither God nor men can forgive it. It is the sin against the Holy Spirit. If one has committed this sin, repentance and conversion is not only difficult, but absolutely impossible. He has taken a one-way road to hell and eternal death. Although he lives on earth, his time of grace has run out. Every door of grace is closed. The sin against the Holy Spirit is like an incurable cancer. There is no cure. The heavenly physician himself cannot heal him. No Christian should intercede with God for one who has committed this sin. The holy angels flee from him. God himself has given him up. The sentence of damnation that God does not pronounce on other sinners until judgment day is pronounced on such a person even here. His heart is like an accursed field on which the sun no longer shine and the dew no longer falls. God no longer does a thing to save him. He no longer calls him, no longer enlightens him, no longer reprimands him, no longer awakens him, no longer comforts him. In short, he pities him no longer. God has surrendered him to his perverted disposition. He is already one who is eternally cursed by God here, one irretrievably lost. The further God departs from such a person, the closer Satan comes. Amid the scornful laughter of all the infernal spirits, Satan takes him captive at his will. He is assured booty of hell.
Human language is too poor for completely describing this great misery. This world is a big prison in which he is a criminal, a rebel against the most holy majesty of God. He waits for eternal death. What a frightful state! It seldom happens, however, that those who have committed the sin against the Holy Spirit are frightened. Yet, it often does happen that those who are far removed from committing this sin needlessly alarm and torment themselves by thinking that they have committed this sin. It is therefore very important and necessary that every Christian knows exactly what the sin against the Holy Spirit is and why this sin can be forgiven neither in this world nor in the world to come. Since today's gospel reading gives us occasion to do this, let us now study the true doctrine of the sin against the Holy Spirit with its heart-shaking but also comforting context. May this take place, that we will all be instructed, awakened, and preserved in the faith. John eight, forty-six to 56-59 Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to thy do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word of the Lord. About a year before the event related in our text, the Pharisees stated that Christ had a devil and drove out the devils through the chief of devils. Even then, Christ showed them that by this slander they were beginning the sin that could never be forgiven, the sin against the Holy Spirit. On the basis of this text, let me present to you the unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit. I will show you wherein this sin consists and why this sin is unforgivable. We pray. Lord Jesus, you do not reject him who comes to you. You came into the world not to judge, but to save the lost. You are the only door to salvation, the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by you. Whoever does not come to you to know your grace, but despises it, yes, derides and slanders it, sins against the Holy Spirit. He erases himself from the book of life and enrolls himself in the book of the lost. 
Even you cannot save him. He has no forgiveness in this world or the one to come because he does not have you, the only Savior of all sinners. O Lord Jesus, guard us from this most frightful of all sins. Do not let us become hardened by the deceit of sins. Make our hearts soft and obedient, a workshop for your Holy Spirit. Someday bring us to an eternal, blessed communion with you in heaven. Amen and amen. Perhaps there are no other sins about which Christians have so many false conceptions as the sin against the Holy Spirit. The reasons are a double one. First, one often sins against men by falsely charging them with this terrible sin and giving up all effort and hope for their conversion. Second, a person often foolishly worries that he has committed this sin himself. Ah, many a poor fallen Christian has despaired at the thought, and without availing himself of grace, he, for whom there was still help, died miserably. A dreadful example was the Italian lawyer Francesco Spira, who twice, from fear of death, denied the evangelical Lutheran doctrine. Thereupon he thought that he had committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, received no comfort, and thus, in the year 1548, died in despair. What is usually supposed to be the sin against the Holy Spirit? Some think that it is persistent impenitence until death. Others, every known denial of, every known fall from, the recognized truth. Still others, that it is every willful sin after conversion. Others say, whoever has sworn falsely, or who has conspired with the devil, has committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. It will occasionally happen that tempted or fallen Christians feel against their will the most frightful, blasphemous thoughts. Despite their sighs, prayers, and struggles, they cannot free themselves of these thoughts. They accompany them everywhere, even to the Lord's altar. Usually they suppose that they have committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. Many Christians experience for a while, immediately after conversion, the sweetest incitements of the Holy Spirit. Then they suddenly stop. They suppose when they feel no light, no comfort, no power, no life, that they have fallen into that unforgivable sin. But my friends, these are all absolutely false notions. Christ and the apostles present this as a sin of only a special class of sinners. Furthermore, many thousands after their conversion have again fallen into willful sins and have still returned to grace. We see this in David. When Paul was still Saul, he was a blasphemer of Christ, a bloody persecutor of Christians, and still he obtained mercy. Peter had been an apostle of the Lord for three years. Although he had sworn falsely that he did not know Christ and cursed himself, he found grace again. During the great temptation by the devil, Job had, against his will, thought all manner of blasphemies and even had unwittingly uttered them, yet God did not take him to account for them. Almost all Christians have at times, when they no longer detect the gracious presence and working of the Holy Spirit, in his place they perceive nothing but darkness, the lust of sin, impotence, spiritual death, condemnation of the heart and conscience, and God's wrath. To all of them apply the words of Psalm 97, light is sown for the righteous, namely, for those righteous in Christ through faith, and joy for the upright in heart. 
You see that the sin against the Holy Spirit must be something completely different from what is commonly supposed. Let us therefore examine our heart and our text that pictures people who actually committed this sin. How are they described to us? The Lord had said to the Pharisees, Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And what did they do? Did they actually cite an example where Jesus had sinned against the honor of God or the love of his neighbor? Not in the least. Not once did they even attempt to furnish the proof, but merely speak with satanic impudence. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Lord gently contradicts this blasphemy, saying that he who keeps his word would not see death. With this, he irrefutably shows the divinity of his word. They merely repeated their first blasphemy and said, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, and yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? In their satanic madness, these wicked people forgot themselves and betrayed their heart's innermost thoughts. Previously, they had said that Christ had a devil. When he defends himself, they cry out, Now we know that you have a demon. If they recognize, as they themselves falsely say, this now for the first time, how could they have said this before? They show that they knew right well that Christ is from God. Two years, two years earlier, Nicodemus answered Christ, not only for himself, but also in the name of his fellow Pharisees. We, namely the Pharisees, know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. John 3, verse 2. Christ's countless unheard of miracles and his quick, powerful words had done the job of convincing them that Christ was from God. Neither fear of that humble Christ, nor the attractions of the great earthly advantage, what they could not have hoped to receive, nor error and ignorance, were the causes of their battle and blasphemies against Christ. Nothing but the bitter, bloodthirsty, infernal hatred against the recognized divine truth. They may not have known that Jesus was true God, but at least they knew that he actually was the Messiah, who had been promised by the prophets. Yet they resolved among themselves, such a Messiah we do not like or want. When Christ therefore showed his divinity, saying, Before Abraham was, I am, their hearts and consciences were alarmed at the majesty of his person and his word. The presentiment then secretly rose in the depths of their heart, this is the truth. But hardened by Satan, they picked up stones to throw at him. They wished to close forever the mouth of this preacher of the truth, who brought to light the inmost thoughts of their hearts. This describes those who commit the fearful sin against the Holy Spirit, not those who in ignorance and blindness blasphemed the divine teaching as Saul, not those who from fear of death denied the faith as Peter, not those who, conquered by their fleshly lusts, have fallen into sin and shame as David. Not those who, in the blindness of their heart, committed all manner of abomination as Manasseh. All these returned to grace and were forgiven. 
much less has it been committed by those people into whose heart the devil has shot his satanic blasphemies or by those who heartily yearn to be free of their spiritual misery. But if they are really convinced by the Holy Spirit of the divine truth, if they refuse to accept this truth, if out of hatred of God and the truth, hardened by satanic maliciousness, they blaspheme it of their own free will as lies of the devil, if they rave and rage against it in a bloodthirsty manner, they have then committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. God is tired even here of showing mercy to them. They, as the letter to the Hebrews says, crucify the Son of God anew, mock him, trample on him, deem the blood of the testament through which they are sanctified as unclean and revile the spirit of grace. God therefore gives them over to the judgment of stubbornness. There remains no more offering for sins, but a terrible looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries, even Christ, the high priest and intercessor of all sinners, prays no more for them. The Holy Spirit no longer works in them. They are stricken from the list of all those who can still find grace. This sin cannot be forgiven them either in this world or in the world to come. They are guilty of eternal judgment. The question now arises, why this sin is unforgivable? Permit me in the second place to give you the answer. The reason why this sin cannot be forgiven is not that God has from eternity predestined him to this sin and the damnation that follows. Oh, no. God from eternity predestined no man to hell and eternal death. Paul writes in Romans 11, God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. That is, as God finds all men in the light guilty of unbelief, he also wishes to make no distinction but be gracious to all. Nor is the reason that these sins are too great and horrible for God's grace. No person can fall so deeply, sin so seriously, be so malicious, that the loving God would not be gracious to him if he really desired grace. Paul writes in Romans 5.20, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Even through Isaiah, God declare, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Isaiah 1.18 Nor is the reason that it is greater than Christ's merit, that Christ had not taken this sin upon himself, had not reconciled God for this sin. Oh, no. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5:14, We have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Peter writes in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, that those who deny Christ will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying their master who, brought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Nor is the reason that this sin is not directed at the person of the Holy Spirit. 
The person of the Holy Spirit is not holier or higher or more invaluable than the person of the Father and the Son. All three are one, alike, the great, glorious, majestic, the thrice holy God. The real reason why this sin cannot be forgiven is clearly revealed in our gospel reading today. The Lord asked the Pharisees, If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And what do they answer? They give no reason, merely furiously reply, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Lord does not cease knocking at the door of their hearts, holding up all the riches of his grace, and as it were, pouring it out before them. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Alas, Christ, with these words, opens all the doors of grace. This very sermon of grace makes them only more furious. Their reply is a new, snarling blasphemy. They want no freedom from death through Christ's word. The Lord then applies one more means, the last remedy, to shake their hearts. He says that he is the eternal God himself, saying, Before Abraham was... I am. Far be it that they should recoil from this great word or the abyss of sin that consists in the struggle against God himself. This enraged them only the more, so that in the madness of their malice they picked up stones to kill him, the Lord of glory, the Prince of salvation. You see, the reason why the sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven is that it is not the sin against his person, but against his office, against his enlightenment, against his awakening, against his reprimand, against his comfort, against his conversion, in short, against all the workings of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit wants to direct such people to Christ, the foundation and cornerstone of salvation, they reject it. If the Spirit wants to lead them to the means of salvation, the Word of God and the sacraments, they jeer at it. If the Spirit wants to bring them on the way of salvation, repentance, and faith, they slander it. If a person rejects all this because in his natural blindness he does not yet know it, or because of the fear of persecution and torture, or the prospect of great fortune misleads him, it is still possible for him to be converted and in true faith find again the grace he slandered. But if a person knows full well the counsel of God for his salvation through the writings of the Holy Spirit, yet out of spiteful hate over against the truth, voluntarily, willfully, out of pure malice, obstinately, stubbornly rejects, condemns, slanders, and even cruelly persecutes the confessors of the truth. Yes, if he can, even Christ himself, he is then beyond help and becomes like Satan himself, for whom there is no salvation. Because he simply is not to be saved, God, out of righteous judgment, surrenders him to his hardened mind, reserves him for the days of his frightful judgment, and saves him for the eternal fires. God would save him also, but he cannot, because he does not want to be saved. Christ therefore says to such, like to harden Jerusalem, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Finally, how should we apply this terrible doctrine? First, for doctrine and warning, let us be particular that about every revealed doctrine of the divine word, if we are convinced of this truth, let us then, for God's and our salvation's sake, not resist it. Even if our flesh and blood finds this teaching ever so bitter and offensive, let us willingly and humbly accept it. Whoever knowingly and willfully rejects one truth, which was recognized as such through the Holy Spirit, can reject all divine truth offensive to him. Finally, against better knowledge, he will slander it. Yes, at last cruelly persecute its confessors and thus fall into the judgment of obduracy from which no one can deliver him. Let us also apply this doctrine for our comfort. Though this doctrine is frightening, it is rich in comfort. It tells us, Though a person may have sinned ever so greatly and slandered God, Christ, and everything holy, even the person of the Holy Spirit, there is nevertheless still grace, as long as he does not knowingly and willfully slander the office and working of the Holy Spirit. In short, whoever still repents, still believes, still wishes to have grace, has not committed the sin against the Holy Spirit as certainly as God's word is clear and true and Jesus is the Savior of all sinners. Let him merely come as miserable and laden with guilt as he is, even though he were a person completely worthy of being cursed. God will make him, in Christ, an eternally blessed person. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.